What's up, people? Will Clark here, and welcome to the first ever episode of the Will Clark podcast. On this show, I have a good friend of mine called Gregory Gordet. Greg is a chef that has achieved some pretty big things in his career. He's currently on the all-star series of Top Chef. Was also, I believe he was on the series 12. Um, he's achieved a lot of things, been in a lot of restaurants, was a huge part of departure in Portland. And it's just generally a super nice guy. Had a really good conversation with him and I'm really happy that we uh, started the podcast series off with him. So without further ado, ladies and gents, I want to welcome Gregory Gordet. What's up? <laughs> I haven't seen this so long. I know, it's been ages. How are you, man? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, really good. In this uh, mad world right now we're living in. Yeah. Are you, where are you, are you in Cheddar? Uh, yeah, in Somerset. It's actually like, it's kind of weird because it's kind of nice around here at the moment. It's like beautiful weather. So, yeah. Like no one lives around here. So you kind of not really getting the full effect of the craziness. Uh, yeah, can you yeah. hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Cool. Um, but yeah, how is it in Portland? Um, it's pretty crazy. Everyone's on lockdown. Yeah. We have shelter. We have shelter in place. Uh, there's like literally no one outside. I just went running. There's like a handful of people out. Everything's closed. There's still a handful of restaurants doing takeout and to go. Yeah. But you even more closing. It's crazy, isn't like, it? Yeah, a pretty important chef passed away um, a couple of days ago, so that kind of sent a big shock through the system. Was that through due to coronavirus? Yeah, he had corona. He was an Indian chef. He, he opened restaurants in New York City for quite some time, and then he returned to India recently, but a lot of us like either ate there or worked for him like back in the day. Damn, that's um, so rough, that was, man pretty big wake up call for our industry as well what was his name lord cardoz okay brought like indian food to fine dining in new york in the 90s that's so rough it's it yeah. kind of doesn't it kind of doesn't really hit home until it hits home until like something like that kind of happens and you're yeah. just like yeah and i mean in louisiana louisiana has like an insane like density of people who have tested positive because they had Mardi Gras, they just had spring break. So they they have like one of the highest densities per population because, you know, no one really takes like heightened precautions until you start hearing about people in your community having it or dying. So everyone still gets together. And then, you know, in the case of down in Louisiana and Florida, like it's like too late because it was already circulating. So, so now a bunch of people are sick. Yeah, because like even on, like, in Florida, like, I've seen on Instagram, like, people are still fucking partying. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like they don't care. I was literally just talking to, like, a friend in San Diego, and I was like, what are you up to today? And she's like, oh, I just did a workout with, like, some friends. They came to my garage, and we all worked out. And I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Like... What, like, what are you actually doing? I, I, yeah. I, I, it's kind of crazy because it's like, and then she was like, oh, my friend came over, my friend stayed over because she didn't want, or my sister's friend stayed over because she didn't want 
to get her grandparents sick. And I'm like, yeah, but you're living with your parents. So you're fine with your parents to get sick, but doesn't, don't want her grandparents to get sick. It's like, come on people. Same place. But I, I, it's changing now. Like I feel like it's, it's, it's affecting a lot of younger people in the States. Like in China, I was like, or abroad, it was a lot of older people. And yeah. now it's a lot, a lot of younger people are contracting and getting sick. Well, I think yesterday or the day before, we had the first UK death. I think she was 21. Mm. Like the first, not the first UK death, but the first like young, younger person to die. And she was like 21, which sucks. But I don't know, man. And it, it's kind of crazy. Like how it, Obviously, it's affected all of us, but like, I don't think many, like, I don't really know the full extent of how it's affected your kind of industry. Um, so it's, it's pretty bad. Uh, you know, it started in Seattle. Um, obviously, the first American case was in Seattle. Someone traveled to Wuhan and they came back and they lived in Seattle. So uh, we saw it like a month and a half ago and a lot of our Seattle restaurants uh, business just started tanking immediately. Um, and they were like calling for help and, you know, it's pretty crisis and the, the streets thinned out. Um, but then, you know, it very rapidly made its way through, um, the rest of the country, you know, um, Oregon was like second, uh, California jumped over to New York. Um, but right now, you know, in the beginning it was like, it's fine to go eat. We saw a drop in business, um, but people were still dining. And then, you know, this thing is changing every day, every few hours. So it escalated pretty quickly into, you know, thinking about the safety of employees and people just needing to stay home. So, like, pretty much, like, every restaurant is closed. So that overnight, you know, when we had to close restaurants, 7 million people got laid off. So huge companies, big and small. You know, if you have, like, seven employees, you know, they all got laid off. If you have, like, you know, 700 employees, like they all got laid off. Um, you know, we have like 3,500 employees in our company. So everyone got laid off. So, uh, there are no restaurants right now. You know, it's, it's fucking crazy. You know, there's a handful of restaurants still pushing and doing to go, um, and curbside delivery. Um, but there are no restaurants. So, uh, the big thing right now is, uh, at, in DC, um, they're, they're working on a, a huge, stimulus package that's like a few trillion dollars and um there are some things in there that should be able to support smaller businesses yeah um it needs to pass the senate um that's going to senate tomorrow um so we're just trying to be really vocal about it being able to focus on smaller businesses and that money not going to bigger businesses um because you know it's a chain reaction if restaurants are closed that means everyone who works in a restaurant is out of business that means Everyone who sells meat, everyone who sells fish, everyone who sells vegetables, all those people are out of business. Yeah. Everyone who sells wine is here, you know, so it's, you know, when, especially when you have like cities and states who are really dependent on food and beverage industry, like Oregon, Oregon is highly dependent on food and beverage. We, food and beverage employs 11% of the whole population of the state. So we're, it's pretty bad here. So like, we really need um, the government to help us. That's crazy because obviously, especially Portland as a city is known for good food, especially all the food trucks and things like that is like, are they all closed as well? 
Oh yeah, I mean, people like people were holding on. You know, a lot of people of were. Well, they have to, still, right? Like when yeah, when, when you're paying your rent and when you you're paying for your kids yeah. and everything. Like America's not an ex- cheap place to live. I don't think a lot of people in the rest of the world realize how expensive it is to live in America. Mm-hmm. You know, and also you have food in your restaurant. That's money. You know, like you ha- want to try to pay a couple people a little bit at least. Yeah. Um, so people were still holding on. There's a couple of people still holding on. Obviously, you know, I don't know what everyone's personal financial situation is. You know, a lot of people are, you know, using their restaurants as kitchens to feed other people. So around the country, a lot of people are feeding hospitals and, and um, you know, feeding people in need. I think that's really awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it, it escalated really, really quickly from this being a, a problem in Seattle and Seattle restaurants having a hard time to, you know, now like restaurants in America are, are literally closed. Yeah. Cause one of my friends, she owns, owns a uh, burger restaurant, a couple of burger restaurants in, in around the UK. And they were kind of doing that, the whole takeout thing. And they were doing a thing where they, you'd, you'd have to call up, you'd pay over the phone and then you would be able to go and pick it up with a number. You wouldn't even go into the shop. They'd come and pick it out on, I guess you guys call it curbside. Um, yeah. But I, but our our government or prime minister closed every, pretty much closed everything down. Um, yeah. Which, honestly, I think it's probably a good thing. Um, but it's not a good thing for business at the end of the day, but it's a good thing to, it's a good thing for humanity in the grand scheme of things. Yes. It's going to, everyone's been affected to, to some sort of degree. Um, however, it's kind of, do you, what, what, you've got to weigh up the pros and cons, right? Like when does it come a point where, when does it come to the point where people are so out of pocket that you're literally making people homeless? And they yeah. can't survive, and they can't carry on. And then, that, when, when does there, when is there like a point where you're like, the world needs to just go back to how it was, and people are like, even if coronavirus is gonna still be around, if you know what I mean, like, is it yeah. just something that we're gonna have to live with? I don't know, but there comes a point when sometimes you kind of just have to be like, let's just, let's just roll with it and learn, learn, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, being, I think one example is like how, how flying changed after 9-11 and how like security yeah. heightened quite a bit after 9-11 and, and we just live with that, you know, like, yeah, you know, if they develop a cure vaccine, you know, that's still on it this year out because they have to develop it, they have to test it, they have to yeah. do the trial. So that's like a year out. So, you know, like I do believe that we're going to find ourselves in this you know, like living with Corona and yeah. like if, you know, it peaks and it gets under control a little bit and we start to reopen things. Like I, I think we're going to be living with Corona for quite some time and, you know, we're going to have to try to figure it out. Um, you know, luckily, you know, our government over here is stepping in. We're going to see what happens. You know, is yeah. the government stepping over there at all or not yet? I, I'll be honest. I don't really follow much. Um, yeah. I listen to the, I listen to the BBC when like I listened to the other night when Boris Johnson kind of kicked in and said and kind of forced shut everything. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't really know how it works with insurances. I was talking to my barber the other day and 
they were saying that even if the government force shuts everything, that the gov- that, that that the insurance companies aren't they don't have to pay. And I saw a load of things online saying Boris needs to force shut all the clubs and everything like that to, so the clubs can carry on going. But I think that c- comes down to the actual insurance companies. Um, and I I really don't... I, I think a lot of people are wanting to blame governments and presidents and everything like that. And I I think there comes a point when... <laughs> I don't know who you, I don't know if this is a blame thing. I don't think this is about blaming anyone. I think this is, I think this is about is working with what we've got and just kind of rolling with it and just hoping that whatever we're being, if we do whatever we're being guided to do and more, then hopefully we get, we come out stronger at the end of it. Um, I know in the UK they've got a lot more strict on people going out because they did kind of like a semi-lockdown last week and mm-hmm. it was Mother's Day on Sunday, um, just gone. And I think like the beaches and the like forests and the like the national parks were busier than they ever have been all year round. And yeah. it's just like people just, <laughs> at the end of the day, people are just fucking stupid, really. Yeah. Just yeah. like not looking at the facts um, but then yeah. on Sunday night, he uh, Boris Johnson came out and pretty much talked to everyone like we're a bunch of kids, kind of like we needed to be told, really, that you're not allowed mm-hmm. to go out. And if you do go out, you're allowed to go out once a day with you or with your family members or whoever you live with. Um, and you're yeah. only allowed to go out for necessities, meaning doctors, hospital, or groceries and you don't need to go out for anything else and obviously if you're a health worker you have to you have to work um but one of my best friends she's a car not she what is she she's an ot occupational therapist she was she works in a hospital in brighton which is like south east near london um on the coast and like i've been kind of keeping up with her every day and she was saying, I was like, how is it at work? And she was like, we're just emptying all the hospitals out. All the hospitals are just being emptied just for when it gets bad. So that there's space wow. for everyone to get there. So like our local hospital in Western Supermare, I know somebody that was there the other day and they were just like, they're emptying all the beds. Like nobody that needs to be in hospital is, is there. It's just, just, yeah. just for when shit hits the fan, it yeah. kind of gets taken yeah. like there's, there's space and i don't know man I, I i i don't think any of us know really i think there's so many professionals that still don't know and i don't know i kind of don't really want to spend my days just work talking about not talking but just yeah. like being really wrapped up in coronavirus it just doesn't seem yeah. healthy it's not healthy at all but yeah. but it's the facts and you kind of got to deal with it yeah, they're like they're they're emptying out some of the jails here, like in New York and New Jersey. That what? Sorry, they're emptying out some of the jails because it's it's in it's in Rikers Island. Um, it's in a couple jails in New York, and it's like spreading really really bad in the jails. So like, they're emptying out some of the jails. They're letting some people go early. Damn, that's crazy. Yeah, how's uh moving on from uh coronavirus? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that kind of started deep. First podcast ever, and it was deep as fuck. <laughs> um, so you've taken a year out from... Right, first of all, anybody that doesn't know who you are, who are you? What do you do? <laughs> Uh, my name is Gregory Gorday. I am a chef in Portland, Oregon. Um, I've competed on Top Chef uh, a few years ago. I'm currently competing on Top Chef All-Stars. I'm known for global cuisine. Um, I pretty much travel the world in, in search of flavors. I've worked at an Asian restaurant for the past 11 years. I've, um, I, I've tapped into my Haitian heritage. My family's from Haiti, so I, I work with a lot of Caribbean and Haitian flavors as well. Uh, Mexico, Spain, uh, I love bold flavors. I love working within the season, and I just like having fun in the kitchen. Um, cool, man. Not taking, not taking it too seriously. So you used to be executive chef at Departure in Portland. Indeed, yeah, which is a, a, a modern Asian restaurant right smack downtown Portland. And it's fucking good. <laughs> I went there. When did I go there? You weren't even in town. Yeah. Yeah. You were filming and it was top secret that you were a filming top, top chef. Um, but yeah, that place was amazing. Oh, good. Thanks. No worries. Well, you're not even working there. Are you, are you still working there? Are you still doing things? Still in a consulting role. I'm not stopped there for day to day operations, but I'm still in a, in a consulting role. Cool, man. And why did you leave? Uh, so I've been there for 10 years and it's a grind, you know, yeah. working in a restaurant, uh, especially when it's busy, that was ours, as busy as ours, you know, 12, 13, 14 hour days. Um, it's a pretty big grind. And then you, you add on events, you, you, you know, you're, you're running around the country, you're, you know, so you're going around the globe like doing events it's just a lot so we have a staff about 30 cooks and um we'll open all day so i just reached a point where i wanted to kind of pursue some of my own personal goals yeah and it was really hard to do that and, and manage that restaurant at the same time so currently um i'm working on opening my own restaurant on uh, my own first restaurant and i'm currently writing my first cookbook um so yeah How's uh, the cookbook, Ryan? Because I, I think I met you on Holy Ship like yeah, two yeah. two years ago. Yeah, exactly. Two years yeah. ago, um, yeah. and ever since then we've just kind of eaten in certain cities and yeah. talked about food and yeah. But <laughs> last time I saw you, you just started writing the book. I think yeah. you just started the recipe. So, like, what's the whole vibe on the book? So cookbooks take quite a bit of time. Actually, I've already been working on it for two years and I'm about to print my manuscripts in uh, June, June 1st. It's due. So it's a pretty lengthy process. There's about 170 recipes in this book. It's a health cookbook. Um, it's kind of showing people how to cook at home, but using global ingredients to make healthy, real food recipes. Um, there's no gluten, there's no dairy, um, but there's lots of like whole foods in there. All the, the top 100 superfoods are in there. So uh, just kind of all the influences that I've had my whole career from working in French restaurants to traveling to Asia, all these things, uh, all these flavors are represented in the book and showing people how to work with them at home. But um, I have a writer, he lives in New York City, and I have a photographer, she lives here. So 
we've almost shot the entire book. There's about 170 images. They're, they're gorgeous. Um, and I'm currently just kind of finishing recipes. I have about 30 recipes to go. And I'm just editing the recipes with my writer to make sure that they are perfect. So when people try the recipes at home, they're foolproof. Did and then, um, work. no, they actually work. Yeah. <laughs> then the book goes, yeah, it goes to the editor and then we design it and then, and then we print it and then it comes out next year. Well, do we know what day it comes out? Uh, it's a spring release. So probably April 2021. So it's kind of like, although the whole coronavirus sucks, it's kind of giving you a bit of time to actually do work, right? Yeah, I like. I think um, one of the few things I feel lucky and a little guilty about is that, like, you know, I'm like kind of one step removed from of my own restaurant right now. Yeah. So I kind of had this plan for this year, and that was stay home, take care of myself, do some traveling. Obviously, that's on the back burner right now. But I, I did have this huge project, which is the cookbook, and you know, I'm I'm pretty good just kind of working on it. You know, yeah. I think. I think it's a good time for everybody to t- kind of dig into some side projects totally while we agree. all have this time. Totally agree. I'm trying to as well. Hence doing this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with obviously when I, I think the last time I ate with you was at Angler in LA. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. Yeah. The first time I tried caviar which okay. is <laughs> on that like banana pancake and it was yeah. unreal. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'd never heard of like industry night, which I was kind of amazed by, but okay. I, I kind of want you to explain this like Monday night. Is it Monday night is like industry night for, yeah. for everyone restaurants? Yeah. yeah. So traditionally, you know, if you're high up on the ladder, um, you get Sunday and Mondays off because Saturday night is the busiest night of the week in a restaurant. So the dream schedule is to work, you know, uh, Tuesday through Saturday, and then you get Sunday and Monday off. Um, and so Monday is that is, is that o- is that only if you're like a good chef? Like if you're like a head <laughs> chef, all the others just have to fucking keep working. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes when you're lower on the ladder, you know, you got to work. You know, you got to you know, you don't get those days off. You know, you got to work through Sunday and stuff like that. Got to put the hustle um, in. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Monday's just been the night that industry comes out. There's a lot of discounts on drinks and um it's just a good night because we know that it's one of the slowest days of the restaurant so a lot of people have a day off so that's kind of like the day that we get together schedule events and hang out and sometimes there's bar specials and stuff like that it was fun it was a fun experience we should do it again <laughs> <laughs> so we've been to a lot of good restaurants together yeah where did we what was the other one that we went to Osmay, New York. that was so good that mo- is it that mole? Was it mole? The mole, the thirty dollar mole, dude. Kind of broke the bank a little bit, but Jesus, it was yeah. worth it. How many? How many ingredients were in that one mole? Oh, I have no idea. Because we had there was the black mole that we, and then there was like a there was like a yellow mole that had the soft shell crab. Oh that yeah, the soft shell crab was really good. Yeah, that was really good. So, so on on your industry night, what? is your go-to? Um, I don't, honestly, I don't know. Right now, I just kind of go out whenever. Because, <laughs> well, before, before Corona, I would, you know, I had a lot of free nights because I wasn't at the restaurant. At yeah. Event. So, you know, Portland is a great food town, so we try to be extremely supportive of each other. You know, we all know each other. Yeah. And, 
someone new comes to town and opens something, you know, we're extremely supportive. Um, so yeah, so, you know, I think, you know, we have like, any night can be industry night vibes. It's like wherever night we have off, you know, yeah, yeah. we'll go out. Is there know? like, is it, is there like that weird kind of competition in restaurant and chef, chef life? Because I know like, I can only talk for myself, but <laughs> I think it's when you're kind of like, like you said, when you're like kind of lower down on the ladder in the music world, like I know I used to do it and I d- touch, thank God I don't anymore. Cause it kind of kills me. Um, but being like kind of, it's that jealousy thing of like when somebody's more successful or like, even if somebody's not more successful, but you're not into it that like, you're like, it's kind of a bit of a competition. Like why are they doing that? And I'm not, et cetera, et cetera. Is that kind of in the chef industry? It's got to be. Oh, sure. I hope not. I think it's more of like a personal thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, honestly, for me, you know, one of my life models is never compare myself to anybody else. Um, I don't think it's healthy. When did you, um, when did you learn that though? Because uh, I, I, I don't believe that you've done that all your life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, granted, I've had, I feel like I've had a lot of success in life. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, I'm surrounded by a bunch of peers who have had, you know, far more successes in life. But, you know, it all just it determines, it all depends on how you define success. I was just about to say someone that. at home with like their three kids, their spouse or husband, they're completely happy, they're completely fine, even though they're not rich, to them you know, that is successful in a lot of different ways. You know, are we talking about money? Are we talking about awards? Or are we just talking about inner happiness, you yeah. know, as a form of, you know? So, you know, I just realized it was like, it was too hard. You know, whenever I compared to myself to someone and I was, I was like, yo, I want what they have, you know, like that's one thing, but you know, I firmly believe that if you have a plan, you can achieve anything. And if I want to achieve something, if I want something that someone has, you know, it's up to me to define and to decide how I can get it, you know, and just kind of wanting it and being jealous and being angry is not effective. That's yeah. not going to do anything. But if I want something, you know, the challenge is for me to be able to find out how to get it if I really want it. And I think that's something that we all need to do in life. Preach, man. Preach. I think um, I think it's something that everyone could kind of learn by and live by. But I, I also think we're lucky that we do something we absolutely fucking love. Yeah, that too and i think i it's it's easy to look at what other people have materialistically especially with the likes of like social media nowadays like everyone's hood rich man like everyone's got the new off-whites and the new mercedes and whatever and it's sometimes easy to be like how how have they got that but i think realistically it's like what is success to you and i don't i don't think everybody knows what success is to them i think that's the thing um so how how do you find it in the kind of chef industry when it comes to lifestyle um because it's pretty non i is i think it's harder than dj life if i'm totally honest with you uh, like you guys work fucking uh, hard yeah i've been on a couple dj tours and i think it's pretty hard <laughs> 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 i think like the hours are crazy like the travel schedule is insane. I think it's like I think DJing is pretty hard, honestly. Um, but you know, uh, the restaurant industry is pretty tough. You know, I think there is a lot of you know 
the culture 20 years ago was, you know, be a tough guy, you know, work no matter what, you know, get like really fucked up after work and then like do, do it all again the next day. Like yeah. work your ass off, yeah. work off the clock, get fucked up, do it all again the next day. You know, I think the culture has changed a lot as people realize that we need to start taking care of ourselves to be, help, to be healthy. Um, the younger generation, you know, they did not respond to that. They don't respond to that type of culture. So, you know, it, it, it changed with their generation as well. And yeah. a lot of older people and older chefs kind of had to change the way they taught and um, led. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's something to be said about being passionate and believing in what you do. It's just a matter of fact, there's just so many pieces to, to working in a restaurant that those are the hours. You know, there's always something to do. You know, there's always someone there to manage. And there's just a lot of pieces. And, you know, the average chef day is 12 hours. Yeah. And that's just the reality of it. And, you know, a lot of times we're on salary. Um, so it just is what it is. I guess 12 hours, six, five, five, six days a week, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I guess if you love it, it's, yeah, I mean, you have to love it. About. You know, if you're, and if you're, if you're an owner, you know, if it's your business, you know, those hours might be even longer. They're even longer, you know? man. You know how that is. Yeah. Like, yeah. Especially about family. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. Harder. That's the thing is I've I've seen some like things on online, some Netflix like Chef's Table and things like that, and how like people actually move their family pretty much in their work and yeah. like have their house connected to their restaurant so they can kind of do both. Yeah, um, that's my friend Peter. That's that's Portland. Uh, yeah. Oh, is that him? Yeah. No way. I didn't know that. Yeah. Damn, you're so famous. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good restaurant. A really good restaurant. But yeah, yeah, but they literally live in the. They literally live in the restaurant. Yeah, I saw. Have you seen the new David Chang's Ugly Delicious? Yeah, yeah. I and I actually really liked the first episode, and it was about kids. But there was a Asian restaurant. I think it was in New York, and they pretty much it's pretty much their apartment, and they've just like split it in half. And no, that's that's fine. No, it's in Portland. Is that in Portland? Yeah, it's called Hanok. Yeah, it's my friend Peter. Ah, yeah. uh, okay. I was the other one on Chef's Table was I can't remember his name. Um, long, th- thin, skinny guy. I don't know. It does like a farm to table thing. Um, yeah. But that that Portland restaurant looks really good. Yeah, it's super good. It's really good Korean. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite restaurant in Portland? My favorite restaurant in Portland, I have a lot of favorite restaurants in Portland. Uh, my friend opened up a restaurant called Mama Bird. It's, it's, it's fairly casual. It's just rotisserie chicken. It's like super simple and super Oof. healthy and like super easy to get to. It's really good. Um, there's a Thai restaurant named Padi that I really love a lot. Um, it's like uh, Isan, it's like Northeastern Thai food. It's like yeah. super good. Um, there's, there's a lot. Ox is a really good restaurant. Um, Hock Pock is a classic Thai restaurant That's that really I go good. to a lot. I've been there yeah. once and it was amazing. Mm. I actually went on a date there once. Okay. It was, it Which was, one? It was, it was an awkward get date. <laughs> 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 it was like after a show, she was like yeah. super hungover. And like, okay. I think we just barely spoke the whole, the whole time and just ate their chicken it was a good day <laughs> um so obviously well i know but i don't know if many people know uh, like you, the fact that you're sober um yeah. how's if that 
Yeah, but I, I, we're different sobers. Like, yeah, you just don't. Do- I just don't drink. I, it, for me, yeah. it's not like I've had any had anything in the past or anything. I just don't drink. Yeah. Um, yeah. But how does that work in the chef's world? Because, oh, I, as some of the listeners may know, like my parents own a drug and alcohol rehab, and we've had many of chefs come through. Um, <laughs> because, <laughs> like you said, it's like known that chefs oh, get fucked up they part they work really hard and they yeah. part even harder yeah. so how does that so, how does that work now with you this is what happens you you have to work 12 hours you know it's hot you're burning yourself you know someone's yelling at you it's a high pressure situation because you have to do everything as fast as possible the quickest release is the first thing that happens is you get off of work and you have a shift drink so you go to the bar at your restaurant and you offered one drink. Sometimes you can have a couple more. Sometimes you can hang out there all night. Does that depend on how, on how high in the ladder you are? If you're like... Yeah, or like <laughs> how big or small the, the restaurant is. Okay. And then, then after that, you go straight to the bar with everyone you work with. Yeah. And depend, depending on the era, depending on the decade, depending on the city, um, it depends on... It, it defines how fucked up you get. You know, I was with Vine Cook in New York City in the early millennium so i didn't know that uh, yeah so you know a city where the bars open till 4 a.m there's always after hours there's always after after hours cocaine is rampant you know drugs are rampant you know so uh you know growing up in the kitchen you know and then doing that every day for like seven years like really fucked me up so i developed a pretty pretty bad um alcohol addiction and drug addiction you know, being a cook in New York City. Yeah. Um, you know, it pretty much happened like literally like within one year of working at my job where I worked for like almost seven years for the company. Um, I remember the first time I was late and it literally happened within the first year of me working there. Um, I like went out the night before. I had to work brunch the next day super early and I got really fucked up and I overslept and I showed up to work late. And you know, over the course of the next, you know, five years, it went into like a really, really dark addiction to, you know, smoking cocaine and drinking um, and meth. And um, it's a common story for people in the industry, you know, because it's you're, it's just designed to like have you like get off of work and start drinking, doing drugs because you're getting off of work at 11 p.m. midnight. And that's the quickest and easiest way to, you know, release yourself, you know. So, so, you know, well, you know, the same way that, you know, the kitchen got me fucked up, the kitchen saved me because when I moved to Portland after, you know, I was in rehab in New York City, I moved to San Diego, I found Portland, Um, I I walked into one of the kitchens I was working in and and the sous chef was sober and he was like, I haven't drank in two years. And it was literally the first time I met someone who hadn't drank in two years. I couldn't fathom that. Um, so I saw his lifestyle, him and his other sober chef friends. And, you know, I, a few months in, I realized like I had to get sober and that was, um, almost 11 years ago. Um, so yeah. So, so now, you know, it's still a pretty big thing in the industry. Um, we actually have, um, a really great resource in the States called Ben's friends and it's a recovery group for people in the food and beverage industry. Um, so it's specifically focused to, to people who are, you know, in the food and beverage industry, because say you're an alcoholic anonymous, um, you know, and you still work at a bar or you're still a winemaker, you know, you can't really talk about these things in 
probably an alcoholics anonymous and meetings because you'll probably get judged, yeah, you know, totally. like, so, so we can talk about these things openly. Um, because we're all, we all, we all understand. You know, well, I think that's the thing. Cause for me, like I, my mum is sober and I've always known my mum to be, I think she's sober 35 years or something now. And yeah. she won't touch anything with alcohol in. And to the point now, because she's been sober for so long that her body yeah. just can't take it. So even if she goes to a restaurant and something's been marinated in alcohol or been cooked in alcohol, it gives her, yeah. it makes her really sick. So it's kind of to the point with her where she's kind of just allergic to alcohol now. Um, yeah. But I also know that in her like everybody sobriety is different for everybody and how they kind of level it out but in her world like she, you don't take anything unless you unless it gets to the point like life or death or pe serious pain where she will take drugs prescribed from the doctors or, or hospital how 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 do you kind of level that out with obviously you're cooking with a lot of chefs cook with alcohol and things like that how does that work yeah, uh, you know, I think it's 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 different for a lot of people, and you know, I got sober in AA, and you know, hanging out with more people who are still working in restaurants now was like I realized it's, it's really different for everybody. You know, for me, like, you know, I don't, you know, I I just wouldn't drink anything, I wouldn't taste anything. Um, you know, then I started making my own kombucha at work, and like I I would drink that every now and then. Um, you know, that felt fine. Probably like five years ago, I wouldn't, but, you know, now every now and then I do. Um, you know, there's still people who taste, you know, and that's, that's different, you know, but that's their sobriety, you yeah. know, um, but people who are, have been life, lifelong bartenders who are not going to stop bartending and, and, and it works for them, you know, that's completely fine. But, you know, for me, you know, um, you know, I, I don't, I just don't really cook with alcohol. I might cook with like a little bit of sake, um, or a little bit of rum here and there and like yeah. rum raisin ice cream and stuff like Haitian dish, but, I just, I just don't cook with a lot of alcohol cool. and I don't taste alcohol. You know, I just, I just don't cook a lot. And if I do, it's usually cooked out. Yeah. Um, but that does not, that does, that doesn't scare me, you know, to have so, something with cooked out alcohol. <laughs> with yeah. the cooked out, I've, I've been told so many different things. Okay. And I like, <laughs> I've been, I've like seen things online and chefs say that when the alcohol, the alcohol gets cooked out, but then there's also, there's not a single trace. And then there's some chefs that say that there are, a tr is a trace of alcohol, et cetera, et cetera. Like what is the truth? <laughs> if you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I think I, well, I think a alcohol, yes, can definitely get cooked out, you know, but it's just like the thing where, you know, there's some people who've been sober for 30 years. They still want to walk into a bar because it makes them uncomfortable. Yeah, totally. You know? So there's people who, you know, will not even look or touch anything with alcohol in it at all. Yeah. You know, I work in a restaurant, you know, I work in a place that sells alcohol constantly. It's part of my job. Totally. You know, so what I don't want to, I don't want to think that tastes alcoholic and I don't want anything that smells alcoholic. So I avoid those things, you know, but it's just different for everyone, you know, and I think, you know, as more people don't drink for, you know, bigger reasons than just severe alcoholism, you know, like just, even the difference between you and I, yeah. you know, like I'm a recovering alcoholic and addict. You just don't drink. Because yeah. You just grew up that way, you know? So there's different things for us, you know? So I think that spectrum is, is, is getting broader as well as people just choose to not drink for different reasons and not necessarily because they have a problem just because they don't, they, they don't want to drink. I think it's more acceptable nowadays, especially in my industry. It's like, obviously 
people still get fucked up and people still drink and they still take a lot of drugs and stuff like that. But it's a lot more acceptable where <clears throat> if somebody, like I remember maybe 10 years ago, if you said you didn't drink, everyone would still try and get you to drink. <laughs> and mm. it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and there comes yeah. a point, like I remember when I used to live yeah. in Ibiza, like the way you, the way they greet you is they give you a shot and the way you say goodbye is you get a shot and it's like, that's just how it is out there. And it still yeah. is to a certain extent. But when people say back then, when people say you, do, you don't drink, people wouldn't understand it. But I think yeah. now in, it's just a lot more accept, acceptable because I guess being healthy and is so much more, I think everyone's realized that being healthy is so much better for you. <laughs> and yeah. I also yeah. think, I, d I don't know in your world, but in our world, in the music world, we've had like a few people, well, a lot of extremely talented people die due to addiction reasons or mental health mm -hmm. reasons and things like that. And I think because that's because of like media and that's kind of came out a lot more, I think it's made it more acceptable for people not to. Is that kind of the same in, in the chef world? Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think with, um, I think there was like a, a lot of reckoning. You know, I think when Me Too happened here, um, there was um, there was definitely a similar reckoning in the restaurant industry. Yeah, with a lot of a lot of big name chefs like Mario Batali, um, John Besh, who's a big chef down south in like Louisiana. Um, a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people came forward and there's a huge reckoning in the restaurant industry as well, where a lot of big name chefs had these long decades long histories of mistreating people and mistreating women. Yeah. Um, and that really kind of started a really, really big conversation about how we treat each other in the kitchen. Um, and, and through that, you know, mental health and, and, and physical wellness um, became part of the story. I think that's dope. How with that Ben is it? Did you say it's Ben's friends? Ben's friends, yeah. Is that yeah. is that worldwide? Because I've never I saw it no, on your Instagram the other day, and yeah, I've never heard so, of it before. Yeah, it's it's the so word. Um, we're about two years old, and um, Ben was uh, a chef in um, in South Carolina. He was opening a hotel with some friends. He had a lifelong of alcohol of addiction and, and struggles. He seemed fine every single day and then secretly he was going back up to his hotel room um, while they're opening this hotel and restaurant and getting drunk um, and one day he hung himself so um, during the restaurant opening so his friends decided that they would start this program this group this support group for you know us who are in the industry struggling so right now we have chapters in about 10 different cities in America um, a lot on the east coast we have uh, Portland Seattle Nashville um, growing more Atlanta um, and their weekly meetings where anyone in the street who's in recovery, trying to recover, just yeah. dealing with alcohol issues, no judgments. It's not an AA program. It's not anonymous. Um, it's just, it's just a space to talk about um, issues and challenges and, you know, people with a little more experience give advice. And right now with coronavirus, actually all those meetings are online. Okay. Um, so we actually, ha we're starting next week to have, um, a meeting every single day of the week um, that's open to you know the whole country um, and the world really um, and I'll post that on my social media so how does um, how does that work with meetings online yeah we just do zoom and you just you just dial in and 
um, everyone's face pops up and we just hold the meeting that way and we go around and people share. Um, yeah, it's cool. It's cool to, you know, I think there's a lot of awkwardness walking into a, a meeting. If you're walking to an A meeting or whatever, and, you know, you're, you're kind of new to the whole thing, but you know, being able to just dial in from your house where you're comfortable, uh, makes walking into a meeting a lot easier. Much easier. Um, yeah. And plus, you know, we're all in the same boat right now. You know, everyone throughout the country and every state throughout the world, we're pretty much in the same boat, so it's kind of nice to be able to check in with people because we're all in the same boat. I wonder how many people are drinking more as well. Because yeah, I, <laughs> I went to the supermarket the other day and it was literally toilet roll, beer and wine had all gone. Like there was food on the shelves apart from beer, wine and toilet roll. And I'm like, Jesus, this is not good for the alcoholics. <laughs> Wow. So how if if people are like struggling with addiction and things like that, is Ben's friends just for people in the industry, or is it anyone, or like how does it work? How do people it's, join it's in? For food, it's, it's, it's for the food and beverage industry. Okay. Um. Yeah. Winemakers, bartenders, chefs, caterers, um, anyone affiliated at all, and at you know, at, at any time in their career as well. You know. Yeah. Um. But obviously, we would never like kick someone out if they weren't part of the <laughs> yeah, you're, not, you're not allowed in. No, we're 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 a recovery group for everybody. Do you so. do you still do AA? If you don't mind me asking, I do, I do, I do. You I've know, always wanted to go to go to one, and I've always kind of like said to my mum that I always want to go to one, okay. and I just never have because you okay. like, anyone can go to them, right? Yeah, like, we should go. Maybe we should go when we're in New York next yeah. time. We should go. Yeah, let's do it. Because yeah, <laughs> it's weird because I used to work in my parents' rehab. So I've been to groups. Yeah. I've like I've yeah. been in group therapy and I've done all of that. But it's like yeah. I don't know. I kind of just want to go I've never experienced okay. one. You've never yeah, they're good. Do you good. do you have NA in America as well? Yeah, we do. We do. Do you do that as well? No, I don't know. I feel I don't know. I think I NA is good. It's like you can say real. how you feel. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Don't hold back. No, I'm just saying like NA is like the real thing. People in A are like the real thing. Um, I don't know. I found AA and it worked for me. Yeah. Like I, I feel like looking in uh, back at my addiction, there were times where I stopped doing drugs, but there was never a time where I stopped drinking. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. So I, I just decided to pick one and, and AA seems, yeah. When but you- I, I was in introduce myself as an alcoholic and an addict because I, I, I struggled with both alcohol and drugs. That makes sense. Um, when you did, sorry, I'm going proper personal. I, I hope you don't mind. But <laughs> when, <laughs> when you um, when you were in treatment, how is the program? Was it just like a 12-step kind of program or how, how is it in America? Because I don't know. When I was in rehab? Yeah. Or, so I did not take rehab seriously. Um, my... <laughs> <laughs> you're one of them <laughs> yeah well you know you don't just get sober overnight you no, know 100%. That, that's, that's, that's the reality of it you know it takes years you know mm-hmm. from like the day that i you know my friends were like you need to go to rehab and i was like hey mom and dad i, I need to go to rehab yeah um from that day to the time i actually got sober it was like two years yeah you know so it's like two years of back and forth just kind of fucking around in there um, so for me, rehab was like, Hey, you're fucking up so bad at work. I need you to go to rehab or if you can't work here. Um, and then I checked into like an outpatient rehab in Union Square in the city. Um, 
and I would drink and I would, you know, do drugs. And then, and then I actually moved. I only lasted two weeks and I moved to California. Okay. So I actually didn't get sober via the rehab route. Okay. Um, but, but you know, two years later I got sober through AA. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. That's dope, man. So you're in the process of opening your own restaurant. Obviously a lot of that's probably on hold right now with Corona. A lot of things on hold, you know, trying to be supportive to my friends with businesses now and, you know, just reaching out to my government officials and just trying to see how I can be just vocal and supportive as, you know, as we figure out what we're going to do here. Totally. Eventually, the plan is to have your own restaurant, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And what? I mean, I'm I'm still expecting to open next year. Okay, cool. So can we know a little bit more about what you're planning on doing yeah yeah so it's a, it's a wood fire concept uh live fire cooking uh definitely a culmination of everything i've i've experienced throughout my whole life you know um i definitely want to have a strong haitian focus because i, I feel like haitian cuisine is very underserved in america i mean outside of like new york and you know brooklyn and miami yeah. you know there really isn't much haitian food in america you know jersey uh but it's really not something that anyone really has had Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really, really excited that, you know, as I've traveled the world for the restaurant and for different things, I've always wanted to kind of reconnect with my culture because I never, I didn't grow up cooking. Um, yeah. I didn't start cooking I was older, so it's been good to reconnect and I'm really excited to bring that to the table and then just have some lifelong influences in there as well. You know, I love Thai food, I love Mexican food, you know, pretty much anything tropical, anything that has a, a big history of chilies. Um, anything ethnic, uh, you know, I'm inspired by those, those flavors and, and, um, I love kind of working with like lots of different flavors from all around the world. So if you need any, uh, recipes, just let me know. <laughs> can, uh, check, check my Instagram out. It makes you hungry. The, the ramen, the, the ramen recipe, the, the, the will make you hungry, the yeah. veggie curry recipe. I'll make you some curry any day. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what actually is Haitian food? I've never had it. Yeah. So, uh, Caribbean flavors. So lots okay. of rice, rice and beans, plantains, lots of oh, okay. cool. like yucca. Yeah. I didn't um, know that because in Bristol yeah. in the UK, have you ever been to Bristol? Uh, no, I've never been to Bristol. Dude, you have to come and visit because obviously when <laughs> Corona's, Corona's back, there's yeah, we've yeah. got like a huge Jamaican uh, population, uh, massive okay. Jamaican population. Okay. Well, okay. Obviously, there's a huge Jamaican population in, in the whole of the UK in generally, but there's, yeah. Yeah. there's a uh, Jamaican restaurant called Rice and Things. Um, okay which is our oh, dude is so good. And it's, it's very like, I don't know what the word is. It's very bootstrappy. It's like, you just go in and you, it's almost like you're in someone's living room. It's not like fancy yeah. or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. But you go in there and you're like, order something and they're like, Oh, we've run out. Sorry. You can't have this, but we've uh, got yeah. this, this, this. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It's so good. A jerk chicken is unreal as well. So <laughs> are your parents in America? Yeah, they, yeah. they retired to Florida. They, they they lived in New York for like 40 years and they retired to Florida. Oh, so you grew up in New York? Yeah, I grew up in New York. Yeah, I grew up in Queens. Oh, damn. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've been on the West Coast for about 13 years. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, yeah. man. Cool. Yeah. So, dude, how can people uh, find you? 
Uh, Instagram, GG30,000. Twitter, GG30,000. Facebook, Gregory Gorday. But we know it's all about Instagram right now. It's so. all about Instagram, right? Do you do yeah. like any YouTube stuff or anything? Not really. I think about diving in, but uh, no, I just, just Instagram right now. Dude, we have to start a cooking show. <laughs> okay. We've been talking about this a couple of times. I'm down. When we have a lot of things to do after, after Corona. I know, right? When we're when <laughs> when we're anti coronafied, um let's okay. let's put okay. our heads together and let's start a, yeah. uh start everyone's gonna wanna fucking get on plane as soon as this thing's over, so Exactly. There's gonna be like yeah. so much going on. <laughs> Um, uh, we're gonna watch rage. I'm so sorry I missed your tour. Of, of all the dates to get cancelled, I know, right? The one sh- you you planned to come to Seattle, and it was the one show that got cancelled. <laughs> I planned for so long, <laughs> literally before before it even got announced. And, uh, I had my outfit ready. I ordered my shirt. <laughs> what 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 restaurant were we gonna go to? Uh, uh, there was this restaurant named Stateside. It's a it's so good there. Yeah, you went there. It's like, so okay. good. Um, there's another restaurant called Eight Row that I was thinking about taking out for brunch, and he, uh, kind of more of an American restaurant, but he just opened. Up. He's a good friend of mine, so I, I think I want to take you there. Dope. But mm, what's your uh, what's what's your favorite restaurant you've ever been to? That I've ever been to. Uh, so the Nam is a is a Thai restaurant um, in Thailand. Um, yeah. It's in Bangkok, uh, and uh, there used to be a chef named David Thompson. Um, uh, he's actually a pretty renowned figure on Thai food. Okay, he's currently in Australia, um, but he pretty much he wrote the we call it the Bible. It's called Thai food. It's it's one of the best Thai food cookbooks, um, and he uses a lot of heat, a lot of flavor. And um, I was able to spend a couple weeks in his kitchen, but Damn. Uh, the meals there I have had are, have been probably the most memorable meals of my life for sure. Have you ever been to India? No, I want to. Oh, I really want to. No, dude, <laughs> I really want to go. Like, okay, let's go. Obviously, Indian food is my favorite food, so I really want to like go check it out. And there was actually on that David Chang show again, the Ugly Delicious. They did a they did a section in India, and it was just mm. like I really want to do it. I want an Indian restaurant one day. <laughs> 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 like the least Indian person, but fuck it. <laughs> right, dude. Let's uh, let's wrap this up. We've nearly been going for an hour. Um, so GG three thousand on Instagram, thirty thousand. GG thirty thousand on Instagram. What's your Twitter? GG thirty thousand. Oh, on Twitter, Is it easy. Yeah, same thing. Same thing. Cool, man. Well. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. This is the first one. Yeah, so thank you. come back <laughs> come back when we do when you do the book and come back when you do the uh restaurant opening. I'll tell you what, when you open the restaurant, I'll come down and we do we do a podcast at the restaurant. Okay. Okay, well, you also have to DJ. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Talk about this. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I'll do the opening and then the day after. Yeah, you're, you're- yeah, we're going to do the opening party and you're going to DJ. <laughs> it's a plan. <laughs> deal, deal, man. Book, just book it in. All right. All right, mate. Have Take a good care. one. Keep safe with everything Thanks. and let me know if you need anything. All right. Love you, man. Cheers, old thing, brother. So that is episode one done. Uh, 
Damn, that was fun. I really enjoyed that. Thanks to everybody that listened. If you're still listening now, I'd love it if you could just go and share it with your best mate or your mum or your dad or anyone. Um, also, if you want to hit five stars or however many stars you think it's worth on the iTunes or whatever they have on Spotify. Huge love and I'll see you all next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.